Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jonathan Sakia. This week, I'm joined by Refki Nicola, an associate professor in the Department of Radiology at the State University of New York Upstate Medical University, which is typically shortened to SUNY, S-U-N-Y, for obvious reasons. Refki graduated with honors from the State University of New Jersey in 1998 with a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and the Henry Rutgers Honors Thesis. Two years later, he achieved a master's degree in biomedical science from the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences before graduating as a doctor of osteopathy from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in 2004. He did his internship at Brooklyn's Maimonides Medical Center a fellowship in vascular and interventional radiology at New York St. Luke's Medical Center, his residency in diagnostic radiology at the University of Medicine and Dentistry Cooper Hospital, and another fellowship in musculoskeletal radiology at New York's University of Rochester Medical Center. Since then, Revke has worked in the radiology department in a number of places and worked his way up to become an associate professor in 2021. He also shifted his focus slightly from emergency radiology to my neck of the woods, or or abdomen of the woods, if you will, abdominal radiology. Refke has been the recipient of awards as a distinguished reviewer and editor and has earned three scholarships. He's associated with various professional organizations such as the American College of Radiology and the American Society for Emergency Radiology. He's an excellent speaker with a number of presentations under his belt, is an editor of podcasts, and has more publications to his name than I've had hot dinners. <laughs> his spare time, and it's a wonder that he has any, Refke enjoys spending time outdoors and traveling and being with his family. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Refke Nicola. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much. And I know that you were busy uh, saving lives just before we started. So, so thanks for taking taking a pause. Look, Refki, I love origin stories. Tell us yours. What inspired you to pursue a career in radiology? And I have to tell you, one of my pals from medical school, when he would meet people, um, people would say, what do you do for a living? He would say, I'm a film critic, which always, <laughs> it always cracked me up. So Hugh, if you're listening, bless you. That's an interesting uh, way of looking at it. So what inspired me to be a radiologist was after talking to my uh, good friend in medical school, who originally was a radiology technologist, but he went back to medical school to become a radiologist. And we were talking and I, he asked me what you were thinking, what I was thinking about. And I said, well, I'm not really interested in radiology at all because that has no pathology. And he said, he was startled and he said, what are you talking about? It's all about pathology. And during my uh, clinical years, I noticed how much of an importance uh, radiology plays in day-to-day life. A lot, of di- a lot of diagnoses and disease processes cannot be identified without a radiologist. And we play such a critical role to, the, to patient care that it's hard not to choose a field in radiology. So I, I think that was an inspiration for me to be at the center point of the hospital uh, and, and in terms of patient care. Well, um, I know over the years, I've certainly relied so heavily and enjoyed working with my, my radiology colleagues. And, you know, 
learned a different kind of anatomy from you guys. But you, you migrated from emergency to abdominal radiology. What, what led to that, uh, that shift? Well, there was twofold. I think emergency radiology is primarily an off-shift specialty, meaning that it primarily works during off hours, evenings and overnights. And after having done that for six years, I was kind of looking for something else uh, to pursue, especially since the circadian, the, the stress it has in your circadian rhythm is pretty intense. And I noticed that during my time as an emergency radiologist, I spent so much time looking at abdominal CTs. And I that's kind of really what inspired me to pursue that shift. And not only that, was the abdominal radiologist plays such a critical point in patient care with regards to oncology, as well as emergency, as well as there are other modalities that are involved in abdominal radiology, such as MRI, which plays such a key role in diagnosis for patients. So I think it was both the opportunity to expand and for looking for something fresh and new to pursue. Yeah. So, um, well, let's get into some specifics. Earlier, um, a while back, you all, you co-authored a paper uh, discussing mimics of cancer in pregnancy. Tell us about that and what radiologists can do to help identify these conditions and so on and so forth. I think this was a, a series of invited articles that were published regarding the focus of cancer in pregnancy, which is kind of really stressful time for pregnant patients. And one of our topics was the mimics of cancer. And I think what happens is sometimes there are lesions in the body or uh, that may look like cancer and have similar appearance to cancer, but are not cancer. So it's important for the radio and it's important for the radiologist to be able to identify those differences and to notice the distinct characteristics of what a lesion that is cancerous versus a non-cancerous lesion. So that was really the focus of our paper. So can you what, what sort of lesions are we talking about here? Well, I think well, for example, adenomas in the liver sometimes may be confused for hepatocellular carcinoma. Okay. So uh, it's very important that we do not call hepatocellular carcinomas on pregnant patients and recognize that these could be adenomas. So that's just one of the examples. Uh, and also fibroids within the uterus sometimes may or may not be confused for a leiomyosarcoma. So it's important to know the dif differences between those types of lesions. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, certainly, absolutely in a pregnant uh pregnant woman. Um, so working in radiology, you really do work across a variety of specialties. And you last year co-authored an article that discussed the potential clinical implications of using the vesicle imaging reporting and data system in bladder cancer. For those of us who don't know about this, uh, include me, please educate us and describe the potential implications. So let me just kind of take a 10,000 step, uh, 10,000 feet uh, perspective. First of all, uh, radiology is going, going through a process where things are becoming standardized. We are, we are beginning to standardize our language, being our standardized how we characterize and look at uh, everything in, in each organ system. So uh, this is the newest 
are one of the um, latest uh, efforts to, to standardize the visualization, the characterization of lesions in the bladder. Because very frequently, um, radiologists are not able to characterize correctly what a bladder lesion that demonstrates muscular uh, invasion versus a lesion that does not demonstrate muscular invasion. So what this system has created uh, is a way to identify specific characteristics on MRI of how lesions look uh, in the bladder if they demonstrate muscular invasion versus non-muscular invasion. And this is important because really this kind of sets up the stage for whether patients will undergo a cystectomy versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by surgery. So it's important, it's imperative for us to be able to report better and to be able to discuss things a lot clearer. Interesting. So um, moving around the body, you were an invited speaker a few years ago discussing the pitfalls of right-up quadrant ultrasound. That's a, an area I spent a lot of my professional life a modality that surgeons like I rely on for cholelithiasis, number diagnosis, fatty liver, and so on. What are the pitfalls? Well, some of the pitfalls are involved with uh, technical. There are technical issues that could be uh, confused based upon the uh, technologist and how you're seeing the images on ultrasound uh, because there are so many artifacts that can occur because of how things look on ultrasound. Also, you have to take into consideration the right upper quadrant has multiple organ systems in that area that can be confounded. A right upper quadrant pain can be either associated with cholelithiasis, can be associated with cholelithiasis, can be associated with uh, acute pancreatitis in that area, could also be associated with a kidney stone. So my, my job in this um, discussion was to encourage people to think outside the box in terms of a differential diagnosis, because very frequently we kind of jump to maybe it's a stone, a, a gallstone, but there are other possibilities that can result in cholelithiasis, just like you mentioned, just a fatty liver can give right upper quadrant pain. Yeah. And of course, <clears throat> something that's pretty darn common nowadays and becoming Yes. Um, you know, more visualized the number of people who, you know, who I know who tell me, you know, I've been diagnosed with a fatty liver. What does it mean? And it just seems like everyone I know, <laughs> which, yeah. which may state that I'm keeping the wrong sort of company, Revki. Uh, so, um, last year, you co-authored a paper on the role of, uh, of imaging in rare COVID-19 vaccine multi-organ complications. So can you go into some detail about that, please? What sort of complications and what role does imaging play? Well, um, so first of all, this was a paper that I was some, uh, somewhat very reluctant to be participated of because I did not want to uh, present any image that I was, you know, discouraging people from, you know, pursuing a vaccine or taking on a vaccine. And I made sure that within the manuscript, we included a statement that the benefits of this uh, vaccine outweigh the risks. 
And I think one of the things that we included in the article were several cardiovascular uh, complications, such as myocarditis, pericarditis, uh, myocardial infarction, and arrhythmias. But you have to also take into account that there is a very small percentage. You know, the, the small percentages, we're talking about a rate of 0.1%. So these cardiac complications are not very common. Um, also, such complications as nausea, vomiting, you know, the concern of um, gastroparesis, those are also associated with abdominal complications as well. And then there are um, less common uh, complications, neurological complications, such as seizures, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and acute transverse myelitis. So uh, we presented these complications, but you have to kind of bear in mind that these complications are rare and should not always be um, assumed to be associated with the COVID vaccine um, uh, that's being administered. So you made an interesting point. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but um, there was so, you know, here we are and COVID is hopefully in the rearview mirror. Um, yeah. What did you see in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned a sensitivity to getting involved in that yeah. debate, yeah. that tempestuous debate. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, it, it's a tough debate to be part of. And I, it's one of those debates that you have to very, tread very lightly because you could be misconstrued the wrong way and you don't want to have people misunderstanding the message that you're sending. Um, but nevertheless, you want to make people aware and educated, but you also have to emphasize that this is a virus and that vaccination is very important uh, for, for people and for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to dredge up old wounds, but, you know, I took up right. some fairly strong positions on it. And yeah. I don't understand yeah. why in this day and age people can't disagree without being disagreeable. Um, and I think it's something that we need to work on as a society. Well, well, I think what happens is that we've kind of created these silos, right? We have created a silo where I created an ecosystem for myself if I do not agree with uh, the vaccination, you know, I have created my own ecosystem. I have created, I found friends in, in, on the internet. I've ha found friends on chat rooms and, you know, all the other social media venues that have sort of kind of feed into my ecosystem. So it, it wasn't like, you know, 20 years ago where it, that wasn't there. Now it's just more pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, it's also too easy to render an opinion. Yes. You know, in the old days, you had to sit down and write a letter, which exactly. time. Now you can just bang something out. It's like shouting at the world. But anyway, so let, let, let's let's move on. Uh, something I came across um, uh, back when you were involved in emergency radiology, you, you co-authored an article that I found particularly interesting. It was on it was on the subject of the role of the radiologist in detecting abuse in elderly patients. Can you expand on that and what sort of things you look for when the medical history doesn't provide a clue? 
Sure. So to give you some background, I think for a very long time, we have been focusing on child abuse, okay? And we've spent a lot of time identifying the markers of child abuse. But there is also an unspoken abuse that occurs among the elderly. And we as radiologists may be the first or only people to recognize those findings. So um, having um, seen an interesting article about this, I actually reached out to a, an emergency uh, physician uh, by the name of Tony Rosen, who is actually in New York City, who's a very prominent co-author or uh, regarding the topic of elderly abuse. And we sort of actually decided to write a paper together. Uh, and we, we kind of looked at the literature and there wasn't much regarding the discussion of elderly abuse. So we wrote a review article discussing some of the important findings of elderly abuse. And one of the important findings is really uh, very similar uh, to child abuse, which is head injuries, you also have, uh, as well as fractures, specific fractures are associated with elderly abuse, such as uh, fractures in the uh, distal, uh, in the in the humerus, and as well as at the radius and, and, and lower extremities. Those are all associated, as well as hip fractures. So um, as it's also important to know that if there are multiple fractures as well, such as also in children, these are also concerning for elderly abuse. Um, it might be, uh, not something that you consider right away, but you also have to sort of kind of keep that in the back of your mind because uh, patients who are either in uh, long-term facilities or also, also taken care by um, a family member, a certain family member may be uh, susceptible to these, uh, to these findings. Um. And what a wretched situation to have to think about such a thing. Oh, terrible. Right. So right. you work in a very tech field and technology is advancing and changing the way that we practice medicine. And, you know, it can be seen around the globe in, uh, in a, in, you know, well, AI, there's an example. I've recently seen some AI work uh, to look at CT scans for evaluating response to immunotherapy and oncology. How is AI currently being used in radiology and, where where's it going? So I, I can tell you only from my experience in our department, which is where we're using it to primarily look for uh, pulmonary embolisms, uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage, uh, and rib fractures. However, the field is expanding and continuing to expand. Um, I think AI is very valuable when it comes to looking for one thing. Which and if you train a computer to to do one thing, it'll do it very well for you. And I think that's what's happening now. We are um, there is new AI software now uh, identifying pulmonary nodules, uh, identifying um, certain types of uh, fractures and certain types of lesions and tumors and things like that. So it's not going to take place of the radiologist, but it's going to help us tremendously when we're looking for something in particular, which we may not see or are look, spending a good amount, a long time looking for it. So hopefully it'll save us some time. Okay. Well, I guess it's watch this space. Um, 
My final question for you, Refki, if you, if you came across a magic genie who could grant you three wishes in your area of healthcare, what would they be? Um, that's a great question. And I think um, I can think of three things. One is to be more efficient, right? We are heading in the direction where we are overwhelmed, where most of us are burnt out, and most of us are feeling that we're short-staffed. So being more efficient really will help us tremendously uh, in our workforce, in our our day-to-day lives. So that's one wish that I'd really um, like to have. The second is being a better detector. I think, you know, we were just talking about AI and AI being able to detect, but nothing can replace, you know, human, um, the human eye and human judgment, right? So, um, it would really be great if we became better detectors of what we're seeing uh, in the screen. And the third one is being better communicators, whether it's better reporting uh, in our reports or better communication with our physicians, other physicians, or communicating with patients. So those are really the essence of, I think, our, our field in healthcare and how we can sort of become better at what we're doing. Yeah, well... Uh, thank you very much for those and thank you very much for your time. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. I'd like to thank you, Dr. Refki Nicola, for taking the time to share your knowledge with us and for everything that you do to help diagnose patients so they get better treated. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm, I'm deeply honored. So, folks, please join us again next week for yet another fascinating episode of the EMJ podcast. And Don't forget to like us on social media so that you never miss an episode. Subscribe and check out the archives to learn more about a plethora of subject matters uh, from experts in the field. Until next time, I'm Dr. Jonathan Sakia. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe, stay well, stay curious. Bye for now.